This is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. Before we begin, we have filled up the street photography workshop that I'm conducting alongside Valerie Jardin in February. If you're still interested, we do have a waiting list that you can apply for. However, there are still a few spots available for the Art of Editing and Sequencing workshop that I'm conducting at the Los Angeles Center of Photography in November. It's a great opportunity to learn how to take a body of work that you've been accumulating over the years, or even a personal project, and learn the skills to edit it into a tight and effective portfolio, web gallery, or even book. Links for both will be found in the show notes for this episode. Now, when people ask me how I decide who to invite as a guest on the show, my answer is often very simple. First and foremost, it's almost always about the work, quickly followed by the story. And if I can get both, I know I'm in for an interesting conversation. That's the case with today's guest, wedding photographer Kevin Mullins. Based in the UK, Kevin has created a successful photography business by following his own clear vision of what he wanted to do with the camera. Unlike so many other wedding photographers who simply modeled themselves after other photographers' style and sensibility, Kevin knew exactly what he wanted to photograph and how he wanted to do it. The result is that he's created a niche for himself that not only keeps his clients happy, but that keeps the photographer content as well. I started the conversation by asking him how he transitioned from one successful business into a career as a photographer. Um, my story is, uh, is relatively unique, I think, in that I was never anything to do with photography at all before I became a professional photographer. So I didn't have any kind of personal um, ambition or um, I wasn't a hobbyist or anything like that, really. Um, I worked in marketing, online marketing, had my own little business in London, um, building websites, doing SEO, etc., and uh, we, my wife and I moved to uh, the countryside and, uh, you know, had children and lifestyles changes, etc. And I found myself getting on a train at five o'clock every morning and getting home at nine o'clock every night. And it just wasn't the life that I wanted to live. So uh, we looked or I looked at uh, different career choices, different career changes. And uh, becoming a photographer was the one that, that worked for me. So... You just didn't jump into it then. Uh, I, I suspect that you probably, considering the success, the success that you've had, I, I would assume that you did a good amount of research before making a leap from a career that was, you know, already very successful into something that was really unknown territory. Uh, no, I did just make the leap. Um, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I... Um, I did research it. I uh, I kind of went on some courses. I did a tiny bit of second shooting, um, just one or two weddings, just to see if it was something that I was interested in. And then the uh, the, the the epiphany really was that I at that point I picked up a uh, I don't know what they call it a Canon uh, Rebel One or Rebel Ti over here it was called a three hundred D. So it was the entry level Canon DSLR, and I picked it up. And at that time, our life 
for lots of friends were getting married and I went along and I took some candid photos and everybody loved these candid photos. And so I thought, hmm, maybe there's a, maybe there's an angle here. And so I researched the wedding industry, the wedding photography industry, um, rather than, uh, kind of shooting the technology, the, the technique of shooting, I suppose. And away we went. I, I, I used those images um, to build a portfolio, essentially, and uh, booked my first wedding, and uh, which was a uh, very big eye-opener for me. Um, once that first wedding was out of the way, I changed everything. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are, kind of six years later now. What, what exactly did you learn from that first wedding? Well, I learned uh, mostly about the style that I wanted to follow, which uh, I kind of already knew that I wanted to be a, uh, what I term as a candid photographer. And uh, I went into that very first wedding with my eyes open and just assuming that I would have to behave just like every other photographer, every other wedding photographer, I should say, uh, in the UK at least, which I always, and I now understand is a mistaken assumption. Um, but at the time, I assumed that it was a very formal, very staged, very contrived situation, lots of group shots, lots of formal pose pictures, uh, lots of detail shots, lots of close-up pictures of the wedding rings, for example. And so I went into the wedding, and I did all those things, and I realized that 90% of the day, I actually hated. And because this was a creative uh, a choice that was meant to make my life better rather than necessarily make me earn more money because it wasn't um, I thought well there's no way I'm going to do this every weekend if, if I'm not enjoying it it's not making me have a better way of life so uh, we, me and my wife sat down and we re-evaluated uh, the offering, we looked at the style, we looked at other guys in the industry who are doing a very similar thing or were doing a very similar thing in terms of style and branded myself in that way and uh, took the images off the website that I didn't want to shoot, which is very key. And uh, away we went and booked the first wedding, the first paid wedding came in very, very shortly after that. So you had to communicate to your clients, though, what your what your specific vision was as, as a photographer. So as well as taking those images off, what else did you need to do to make it clear that you weren't going to shoot a wedding the way all these other photographers would typically shoot it? <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good point because it's it's incredibly important that the clients understand this. And um, because of my background in marketing or online marketing, I you know I realised that most of my business, certainly in the, the early days, was going to come through the internet, through the websites. So there was a lot of information on my website, a lot of information in my. Um, branded collateral, my PDFs, my printed media, etc., that made it clear, really, of the stylistic choice that they were making as the client for the photography they were going to be obtaining. Um, and it's, I think, to be honest with you, certainly in those days, there were fewer and fewer, or there were very few photographers offering that style, or that similar style. So it was quite a, it was quite exciting to many clients to have um, mostly black and white, mostly candid pictures um, that were really telling the story of the day through the eyes of a uh, of an observer rather than through the eyes of a professional photographer. Um, but you know, absolutely right. It was very important for me to make sure that my website was well branded, well uh, the clients were well informed, and we spent a lot of time putting that information together and talking to the clients and explaining to them that I'm not going to be the photographer that's going to give you 25 group shots and, you know, kind of organize all of your guests and stand on a stepladder, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he, that, that whole thing about the group shots, I heard you quoted as saying, at the, I think probably at that first wedding that you had a, 
an innumerable number of group shots that you had to do. And then after that, you were just like, never again. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I think uh, it was something like 45 group shots, which uh, okay. for me is uh, – now, don't get me wrong. Group shots, uh, there are many photographers, many good friends of mine who do group shots as part of their package, and they are – brilliant at it they love it they enjoy it they engage in and they are they are the people who will deliver those beautiful group shots the clients that want that um but for me it's a very it's it's a very boring stage of the day it it doesn't really tell me anything about the uh the clients about the people it's just a record shot it's essentially what these people were wearing on the day and how old they looked that's that's what I see as as a group shot. Um, I want to see pictures that have emotion and storytelling and context, um, you know, touch, humor, etc. Having a bunch of people staring at the camera at me does not do that for me uh, as as a person, as a as a photographer, and so I can't really engage with them and and, and sell them that as part of my package. So, but you don't say no to group shots, but you do you do sort of qualify it when you're speaking to your clients, right? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I would say this year of the of all the weddings I've done this year, probably sixty to seventy percent of my clients have had no group shots at all, no formal photography. Uh, the remainder have had three or four group shots, perhaps one, two, a maximum kind of four. I would say, um, and nearly always. And now that I'm so far down the line, it's uh, in terms of the business, it's nearly always to pacify uh, parents and aunties and uncles and grandmothers, etc. And I can totally understand that, and that's absolutely fine. I have no no big deal with that. Um, but it's important for me that when and if we do those those group shots, the client understands that that's not my my remit is not to get them beautiful beautiful group shots. I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that. We're going to do that as quickly as possible, and we're going to, and so I can move on to to doing the the candid reportage photography that that they've really employed me for. Yeah, I was reading that um, you describe your photography as you you don't. You're not so much interested in the ceremony and the tradition, but you love photographing people at a wedding. That mm-hmm. your that your interest is really with people, their interactions, their reactions, and the emotions that are that are there. Um, was that very clear to you from the very beginning that that's what you wanted to uh, photograph? Yeah, I think it was. I, um, as I said, I was never a, not even a hobbyist photographer, but I always had a keen uh, interest in in looking at documentary pictures. I suppose um, over here we have the Sunday Times magazine, and I remember through my youth reading that magazine, and it was always the pictures, uh, you know, the, the great kind of war photographers like Don McCullen in there, who uh, I would gaze at these images for a very long time, and of course, it's a very, very different context, but I would find myself looking at the pictures far longer than I would find myself reading the stories, for example. And so I think it was a natural progression, really, for me to to, to end up shooting in this style. And you're right, I, um, I, I, I somewhat cautiously and humorously say that I actually hate weddings um and I don't I don't hate them of course but I don't see weddings as the formal occasion that we we tend to see them as a wedding 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 you know it starts at the beginning it has a ceremony this happens they cut the cake etc etc I essentially see it as uh, street photography it just happens to be within the canvas of a wedding um so it's all about the people and all about the event and who why what where when of the wedding to tell that story um, but really, it's people photography rather than wedding photography. What was the biggest challenge in terms of your shooting process 
in terms of being able to get skilled enough to be able to sort of anticipate and get those those really fleeting moments that are filled with emotion and and drama because you know photojournalism and street photography are not an easy thing and and when you apply it to the stress and the pressure of a wedding uh Mm -hmm. it can even be made more difficult yeah no i get that and i think the biggest challenge for me when i look back at some of my earlier pictures i i can see immediately that it was it's the distance to the subject that really was kind of missing for me um and uh, getting closer getting having the uh the confidence to get closer to get within the story itself um and shoot from the outside uh, from the inside out i should say rather than the inside uh, rather than the outside in um is something that 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 kind of changed for me a few years back and i look when i compare my older pictures with my newer pictures i realize that i've got the confidence now to get much closer to tell that story from within um and it's it's very much like street photography a street photographer's greatest challenge is the the confidence to take the image in the first place um once they break through those barriers then they can they can often get their their greatest images i guess and for me it's a case of you know, wedding photography is very different to street photography in that you're you're there on a commission. Everybody knows you're there. Um, but my uh, my remit on the day is to let as few people as possible to know why I'm there. Really, I I, I just kind of sell myself as a as a guest at the wedding. I want to deliver images to the client from a guest point of view. I want other other guests to just see me as a guest and not the the threat of the big bossy photographer as such. You said something interesting just now. You said you like photographing the wedding from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Could you could you expand on that idea? Yeah, this is something I've been talking about for a while now, actually, because it's um, when I look at my pictures these days, and and of course I don't, I, I'm certainly not the best photographer, best wedding photographer, best wedding photojournalist by any any stretch of the imagination. But but something that I do think that I do that that um, works for me is I get very close, I get within side the story and I will um, essentially shoot it from a guest's point of view, from the bird's eye, of a, uh, from the eye point of the guest. So I will get in, I'll get on the dance floor, I will mingle with the guests. I often, um, for the drinks reception, for example, I will um, sometimes pick up a glass of, of whatever they're drinking and wander around and just, I won't drink that, but I will wander around and I will shoot with the, uh, with the camera in one hand the drink in the other hand i dress like a guest i mingle i chat to them and so i'm shooting as if i'm one of their in that circle i'm not standing on the edges shooting with uh, longer lenses um and being a uh, an observer from outside i'm observing it from the inside i guess you talked about you know marketing and branding yourself uh earlier uh and that's not just about procuring clients it's about a, establishing your your voice and, and communicating that so that you get the the right clients for for your kind of work but th- talk about all that you do because you're not you not only have a website you have a blog or your your um your own social networks but can you talk specifically about how you use that to to clearly express who you are individually as a photographer rather than just as a means to procure clients yeah, I think um, I think if we start with the website, really, because ultimately that's 
still where 70, 80% of the business is going to come these days or come from these days. And I think it's really, really, really important for photographers, certainly in the social photography scene, to be seen as a person, as a real person. And so it's important for me to speak to clients from that website. I will, uh, you know, I want to do this for you. I, I love this picture of my uh, client's wedding because. So I'm explaining to them constantly why I'm uh, excited about taking this picture, why I love this particular photograph. And I want them to feel, uh, you know, and rightly so, I want them to feel wanted by me as, a, as, as somebody who, obviously I want them as a client, but I also want them to want me because I want them, if that makes sense. And uh, through social media and Facebook and Twitter, etc., I kind of see those more of a business-to-business uh, entity, to be honest with you. Um, yes, I think a lot of my clients follow me on Twitter, but I don't necessarily engage with them in that respect there. Uh, but the, the website and the blog... Um, Instagram, etc. I think are where the uh, client relationship is built, and uh, I think it's it's very important that your your online presence gives you a persona, and that persona is true to your your, your real personal uh, being. And uh, you know, it's 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 something that clients really do look at and and really want to be able to see you and speak to you. And when they come and see you, they can say, "Oh, you know what." We love that picture of you on the website. We love what you said about that wedding that you shot a couple of weeks ago, etc. We love this particular picture because, etc. And that, and that really uh, is important to me. Uh, you're pretty active on your blog. Do you find that a lot of the uh, the brides who are going to be photographed by you are are frequently visiting your blog to see what you're doing currently before leading up to their own wedding day? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I think for me, I really want my blog to be a, uh, a portal, if you like, for um, just for anybody really who's, who's getting married or interested in getting married or even other photographers. I just want it to be somewhere that people can come to to look at pictures and, you know, to to be happy to look at those pictures whether they're going to uh, choose me to photograph their wedding or not i don't really care about to be honest with you if uh it, you know if i put a picture up that helps a bride to choose her shoes or her venue or her dress etc but i'm not the style of photography that she wants then so be it but the more and more people that do that the more that my business will spread via social media the more that these um, brides that potentially will go elsewhere for their photography will share my content will push my content around and that will get me through to more and more brides who will come to my website and go you know what we really like this this reportage style and this is the guy for us uh, you meet with your uh, with the couples uh, a month before and you also have a questionnaire for them can you tell us about the importance of that for 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 you um, yeah, I, we do a, I, I actually, to be honest with you, I rarely meet the clients before the wedding. Um, I speak to them and sometimes we'll do it on Skype a month beforehand. Um, I actually find not meeting the clients physically face to face is good because I go into the wedding then without any preconceptions whatsoever about, um, about them, about their, their wedding, what, what the weather's going to be like or anything like that. I can go in and shoot it very, very cleanly. Um, but it's, it is important that we discuss um, timings and attributes of the day and uh, you know it, it's a very uh, straightforward system where we will um, lay out the uh, best man's name number etc any form of photography that they want there in the UK 
day we sometimes have issues with registrars not knowing photography during the actual ceremony etc so we'll we'll outline that but one of the things i'm very cautious not to discuss with with the clients is um about their idea of their wedding day because i don't want that to um diminish from my view of their wedding day i want to take this i want to shoot this wedding as a clean observer i don't want to um you know i don't want to be uh, kind of um obscured if you like by their ideas and their styles and their their themes when i arrive on the day i want to be able to see that theme that style and idea and take and shoot it from my my perspective you probably have sort of an ideal client you know um so how do you sort of parse between clients that you know are a good fit for you and other clients that you know might not you know, uh, that might not be appropriate for, for, for you. Cause you know, sometimes a photographer has to turn people away, not because they're not because of financial reasons, but just because it's just not a good fit. Um, how do you sort of parse that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because, um, and, and for documentary photographers in the wedding world, at least it's, it's very important because we will get lots. In fact, we, I get lots of people who say, we really love your pictures, but also we want, you know, 20 group shots, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, straight away for me, that's a, a red flag. Um, and essentially what I will do is talk to them about the, uh, the parts of the, the wedding or the parts of what they want that I can't really deliver to them. And I'll talk to them about it and I'll talk I'll give them the reasons why I'm not going to be able to do that for them um, and if they still you know have that in their mind that they want that then I'll refer them on to other photographers that I know who will do them do that job very very well for them um, but really it's about client uh, client education because as somebody once said to me a client once came to me and said we didn't know what we wanted but we wanted a war photographer that shot weddings and that, that mm. always kind of struck with me because there's there's no comparison whatsoever of course with war photography and weddings what she was after was candid photography that was black and white and, and in her mind that's what what she she associates it with um and that taught me that clients really until they start researching wedding photography they don't actually know what documentary photography is reportage photography wedding photojournalism so they stumbled across the website for whatever reason and they like the candid pictures they like the black and whites um and then they may still have this this whole ambition to have uh, a great big receiving line with 30 formal photos um and it's that point where i need to step in and, and explain to them further the way that i work and and, and that's what the website does and the, and the the marketing collateral um and you know you get the occasional client who who just says i really love of wedding photojournalism i know that you're the guy for me and, and they're the perfect client so when you were de developing your sort of signature to look towards towards black and white how did that develop did you just immediately know that that's what you wanted and then you slowly refined that black and white look over over time and over several weddings yeah, it's definitely become refined, but it was um, a majority of my work, I would say, has always been black and white. Um, I say to clients that if color is a feature of the image, then it will remain in color. Um, but if color isn't a, if color isn't the context within the context of the image, then I will prefer it in black and white because that helps me, I think, as the, uh, as the viewer of the image to see the story more. Um, and of course, that's a very subjective argument and, and many people will disagree and many people will agree with it. Um, but from a branding point of view, I, I want people to think, 
you know what we i remember seeing that guy's website the guy who did black and white uh, candid photography what was his name his name was kevin um or, or one of the other guys that does this so it's part of the brand and it's part of having a identity and it's um it's by no means unique but it's you know the the the, the, the ubiquitous uh, usp that everybody talks about the unique selling point um i think it's uh, you know, it narrows it down a lot in the client's mind of the style that they want at least so uh, it's very important that, that that the black and white remains the core feature of my product how did having a, a business before this help you in terms of putting a value uh, on the work that you would be doing as as a photographer, especially when you consider the time for pre-production, shooting the wedding, and post-production. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I was how old was I? I guess I was thirty five, thirty six when I shot that first wedding, um, and I'd been working for myself since I was twenty two. So I've you know I've run businesses pretty much all my life uh, all my working life at least so I had a very good idea of business and how businesses should run and the marketing elements to it um but it's important to remember, it's important for me to keep reminding myself that the reason I became a wedding photographer was for a better way of life, not necessarily for a um, better income. Because quite frankly, that's not the case, uh, you know, uh, compared to what I used to, used to do in London. Um, so my, mostly I value things um, by time these days. So if something is taking me way too long, um, my editing in the early days was taking me way, way too long. So I invested in training, I invested in new software, I invested in the ways to bring that time down. Um, and then that gives me more free time to spend with the family, the kids, or on the business or whatever. Um, it's, time for me is, is, is basically how I value things these days. Well, one of the ways you, uh, I've heard that you sort of save your time in terms of post-processing is by actually, you know, presetting your cameras uh, for a particular look with with the JPEG files. Could you mm -hmm. could you elaborate on what um, what that is? Yeah, when I um, I mean these days I shoot with mirrorless systems, and the but prior to that I was shooting with my with the Canon DSLRs, and it was in those days actually that I started shooting JPEG because uh, I realized pretty quick that the jpegs that the canons were spitting out were great you know i would how uh, many of us sit there and we look at the raw files uh, or the previews pop up in lightroom and we think oh that looks nice and then lightroom takes that strips that preview away and we're, we're left with that raw file that we then have to re-edit back to that that beautiful jpeg um, or the equivalent so i started shooting jpeg perhaps three years ago i suppose three or four years ago um at the time it was mostly jpeg plus raw um and then over time it started to become more just jpeg and these days i shoot mostly jpeg uh during the ceremony i'll shoot jpeg plus raw just to, to give me some uh some recovery time there if, if necessary um but absolutely the jpegs are, are really important and so the editing time is just much quicker. The downloading time from the cards is much quicker. The, the file sizes, everything, the, the the storage, everything about it is 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 much much quicker. So you're using the the Fuji cameras now. So what do you tweak in terms of those JPEG settings? Because I know that they have pretty extensive controls for for the look. Not only the the picture styles where they emulate film, but you're able to adjust contrast, uh, tonal range, sharpness. Mm -hmm. um, could you could you be more a little more specific in terms of what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mostly shoot for the black and white stuff. I shoot with the black and white plus R filter. Um, I set the uh, both the shadows and the highlights to minus one. Uh, 
I set the sharpness to plus two generally, um, and I set the uh, noise reduction to minus two. Um, that's pretty much it. That's 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 the, the setting of the box for black and white. For color, I will shoot in um, in the Velvia film simulation uh, with the same settings actually uh, for the uh, for the shadows and the highlights. Um, although now they've they've just released the or they're in the process of releasing the uh, the chrome filter or the chrome simulation, which actually is is really beautiful. And I will change that for my color stuff as and when that becomes uh, more widely available. Um, but yeah, the JPEG. They're the settings I use for the JPEGs. And when they come out to the camera, I need to do a minor adjustment to them. And for the black and whites, I add a, a, a very small kind of warmth and sepia to the, to the image um, and maybe a little bit of contrast enhancement. But that's pretty much it these days. It's all looking good um, straight out of the camera, as it was with the Canons, to be honest with you. It's, it's a, um, you know, you can customize the JPEGs. The, the guys who build the cameras, the manufacturers, they spend so much on the JPEG engine, the processing engines, that, uh, you know, as professionals, we a lot of the time we just completely ignore it. And actually, it's something that they've invested a, a fair percentage of their R&D uh, budget into, and we just kind of ignore it completely. <laughs> Did it take you a while to really kind of trust it as opposed to shooting raw plus JPEG? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not so much about trusting the, uh, the camera. It's about trusting myself to get the exposure, uh, near enough, uh, correct rather than spot on. Um, and once you're happy with the style that the image that the JPEGs will create, then really it's, it's about trusting yourself, I suppose. Um, the, the, the reason why I shoot JPEG plus RAW during the ceremony and sometimes during the first dance is just because of the much harsher lighting situations. And of course, you know, we know that RAW will give us much more um, uh, control in those uh, recovering those highlights and the shadows, etc. So it makes sense to shoot that then. Um, but actually, throughout the rest of the day, you can shoot faster. The, cam- the cameras will buffer quicker. Um, you will, when you download the image, you you know, you'll 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 get pretty much your editing done in the can, um, and it, and you're good to go and it's it's about trusting yourself rather than trusting the camera i think uh, can, can you talk about the de- deliverables what do you deliver to the client um after you've done all your work with with your images do you provide them books a, a disc hard drives you mm-hmm. know what what are you promising to them well i used to i used to deliver them um they all get the digital files these days um and they all get uh, some printed collateral of sorts whether they've ordered a full album or whether i i would give them a gift mini album or a gift set of prints um with their digital files um but printed material is very important to me and actually more so now than it than it ever was really because the more that i the more that i work and the more that i see my own work and also the more that i see printed work of other people the more that actually i appreciate good quality wedding albums and wedding books and wedding prints so i'm pushing more and more and more towards um trying to encourage more people to have fine art albums and prints um but of course in this day and age everything is digital you know we get our television down the wire we get our music down the wire everything is you know everybody expects to have digital images and so that's part of the 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 package they will get those digital images um these days i will supply that on a a usb pen um although personally i i i find those abhorrent because the dog will eat them or they will lose them or they will delete the files off them or somebody will overwrite them um but 
yeah, computers rarely come with DVD drives these days. Macs don't come with DVD drives, etc. So um, that seems to be the medium of choice. Um, they will get a online gallery, which is set to music. That's what they will see first. And I encourage them to sit down with a glass of wine or a coffee, etc., to to watch those images for the first time together. Um, and thereafter, they will they will get the deliverables. But but I really encourage people these days to go for um, nice matted fine art traditional albums um my albums aren't they're not uh fluffy or they're not padded they're not pink they're not you know they're just very traditional matted albums very understated albums that really allow the pictures to do the um the showing off rather than the book itself you know what uh, is you know when you're starting off a career as a wedding photographer it's uh, as much as an opportunity is to practice your art it's still a business and along the ways you can make a lot of business mistakes. What was the one that you learned the most from? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, in terms of mistakes, I think I, right at the very beginning, I just kind of followed everybody else. Um, I did, I did what certainly right at the very beginning, I did what I thought was expected of me as a wedding photographer. I did the, um, the standard hours, bridal prep to first dance, etc. I didn't really concentrate on the, the mechanics of the business over the, the actual shooting. And I was worried more about my ability to shoot the pictures rather than I was about building a good, solid business. So in terms of a mistake, that was, a, and, and having said what I said earlier about having businesses before, that was, that was a real eye-opener for me. And, and every year, my wife and I will sit down and we will, we will look at the, uh, the bottlenecks in the business, what's working, what's not working, what I'm enjoying, what I'm not enjoying, etc. And we will correct all that. And that's something we learned early on in that we – we, it's important for me to stand up for my um, stand up for my style and stand up for the way that I like to work because I'm doing this um, almost as a vocation. Really, it's a vocational type job, and I want to be able to enjoy it. So I won't allow people, I won't allow um, potential clients to to muddy those waters. And for me to go to a wedding and come back having not enjoyed it or having um, had my the way that I work stretched because of the way that the client wants me to work is something that I really um, in the beginning in the early days that happened a few times and, and, and I really learned from that and it's it's now a case of you know what they come to me they're buying my services that means I'm, I'm the expert if you like so it's up to me to tell them what they're going to get what they're going to be, be delivered with and for them to accept that rather than for them to uh, massage my style out of into something that they want that's that's not really what I want to do. Tell me about the market in the area that you're in, because you originally said you were you were in London, but then you you moved, and I think you're in Wiltshire now. Mm-hmm. And, and- yeah, so I'm I'm actually only about an hour and a half outside of London. Um, the United Kingdom obviously is quite a small place, so I work. I guess probably only five weddings this year have been in Wiltshire itself, which is uh, one of the one of the counties. Um, I'm all over the place, all over the country. Um, in Europe, um, I shoot in. I've shot in France, in Italy this year. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, Scotland, all over the place. Really, the the market is uh, very much um, national. 
I don't think anybody, any wedding photographer in the country would would be able to say they just work locally um, because it's very different demographics and the the, um, the the economic circumstance in lots of places are very different. Um, some of the guys in, in areas that are perhaps uh, less economically well off are very, very good photographers. And so their local people may not be able to afford them and they will move off and shoot elsewhere um but we can pretty much get to anywhere in the uk you know overnight or, or in a couple of hours so the marketplace is is buoyant there's there's probably more photographers than there are clients um uh, you know i often say if i throw a ball out the window i'll hit another wedding photographer um but i think that's that's actually quite a good thing in a way um in that the more people that are in the industry that are strengthening the industry the better the marketplace will be um it's the guys that are in the industry that are weakening the industry that are other other worry i suppose you've mentioned your wife a couple of times and i assume she's a partner in in the business what role does she she play in and what does it allow (laughs) you to do that you otherwise would be forced to do yourself um so Gemma is uh well primarily she's mum to the kids and kind of chief chief looker after of everything um she does that very well but she she helps me out with um the, the just the sanity side of stuff really the most important thing that that she does for me is she'll sit me down and she'll say you know what you're struggling with this or I can tell you're stressed what's going on why is this happening um and she's from a uh HR kind of background herself so she's she's very in tune with the way that people are and the, the way that people in a working environment react and are, are being and whether they're stressed or whether they're tense or whether they're in a happy mood um so she's the, the greatest the greatest thing that she does for me is she 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 keeps me in check she will she tells me you need a break you need to stop you need to come home now you need to go away for the weekend or we need to go away for the weekend um you need to change the way that you know you're uh, you're dealing with this particular client or you need to you need to just knock this on the head etc um that's that's the greatest thing she does for me in in terms of a technical point of view she will you know she's often the person at the end of emails she's often the one that will deal with um album orders etc um but really from a um she's kind of a a business mentor if you like at the end of the day did you find that you know over the last uh, seven or eight years that there was a point where just as a result of either starting the business or just trying to sustain it that you found yourself being a more obsessed with the business than you had sort of anticipated and then it was taken away from what you had wanted to achieve with respect to your family? Absolutely. Um, and that's happened a couple of times and I'm sure it will happen again in the future. Um, and I, again, that's where Gemma comes in, you know, she, she will bring me back to, uh, to ground to that. Um, I, one year I shot, uh, 71, oh no, uh, sorry, 69 weddings. Um, oh and you know that was just way 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 too much for me there are guys out there who will do that and can do that very well um for me it's not i do all my own editing i do all my own um processing etc so the time commitment involved with 69 weddings right across the country some of them abroad was just uh perpetually bad really um and at the end of that well again my wife we sat down um come the end of that season and we just said you know what we earned good money from this year but now it's time to really knock that on the head so that was just a simple economic choice increase the prices substantially and do less weddings and and you know the the, the kind of law um law uh, the law of economics come into play at that point but yeah, it happens and it's very easy. I have a very fixed amount of uh, weddings that I'm happy to shoot each year. And when I hit, hit that level, 
it's very easy for somebody to come along and say, you know what, we want you to shoot our wedding. But it's very difficult for me to say, you know what, I'm not going to do it because I've got my I've got my ratio for this year, and you know I want to have those weekends free. Um, so yeah, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, and I think it's in the economic times we've had over the last few years. I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't have had those challenges. Yeah, the, the the idea of um, increasing prices is something that uh, raises a bunch of different things for people. But I think that I think people who struggle with that are often looking at it as a, an emotional choice rather than a, a business choice. Could you could you speak to that? Yeah, I think a lot of people do struggle with the whole idea of raising their prices. Um, I think primarily, I think people worry about perception. And they think, you know what, I would never pay £2,000 or £3,000 or £4,000 or whatever it is for a wedding photographer. I can't justify pricing that. Um, but that's not true. You know, you, there's always going to be people out there who will, who, uh, as long as you're good enough, they will pay that money. Whether you could personally afford to pay £2,000, £3,000, £4,000 for a wedding photographer is not really relevant. Um, the, there's a lot of guys who I know who, will, who still do the whole kind of 70 weddings a year and, and they don't really appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, like I said earlier, the law of economics just, just come into play that you can increase your prices subtly and reduce your workload and, and that will work. It, it, you know, it will work simple as that um you have to find a biting point of course um there are people who who see having x amount of weddings as a as a bragging right perhaps and, and that's fine as well but for me it's very much a case of i will get to the amount of money i need to earn for a year and then after that i'm you know i'm i've, I've achieved what i need to do which is 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 to is to pay the bills, get the food on the table, pay for the holidays, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and, and now it's time to you know to recover. And for example, I have three weddings left now for the rest of the year, um, and pretty much that's it until kind of March time. Um, you know, I've got other things going on in terms of marketing and business and bits and pieces, but in terms of weddings, and I'm more than happy with that because I want that time, I want that recharge time, I want to you know to, to rest and relax a little bit. Well, you've been using the, the Fuji cameras for for a while, and you've moved moved away from using uh, DSLRs. Um, can you explain exactly why you've uh, come to use those as your your primary tools? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it's going back to what I said earlier, really about getting in closer. I, it was around about four years ago, I think, when um, the original Fuji X100 was demonstrated or displayed at Photokina. Um, I wasn't actually there, but I just saw an advert for it. And, and I kind of looked at this thing in this glass box, this retro looking camera, and I thought, hmm, I, won't, I wasn't really fussed on the way it looked. But I thought, I wonder if this, if this little camera can produce the same quality images as my massive um, 1D, uh, uh, 1D Mark IV I was using at the time, I think. Um, you know, how great would that be? I could just shoot with this fixed 35mm lens. I could really, you know, do the things that I want to do. Um, so I got one. I bought it. I, I pre-ordered it. It arrived. Um, I think I got one of the first ones in the UK when it came through from uh, Warehouse Express. It happened to arrive on a Thursday morning. I happened to have a wedding that afternoon, um, and I took it with me. and And to be totally honest with you, it was uh, it was fine for some shots and abysmal abysmal for for a lot of the time because the uh, the focusing wasn't great, low light wasn't great. Um, and I came away from that wedding thinking, "Wow, you know what? This is it's not right now, but there's a, there's a lot of potential with this." Um, and slowly, and then eventually, they they released the X Pro One and changed lenses, etc. And 
what I knew was going to happen with these these cameras, and it just so happened that Fuji were there at the time, but subsequently Olympus and Sony have, have you know have done similar things. Um, what I realized straight away is that it did actually allow me to operate much more candidly on the day, much more discreetly. I could get in a lot closer. I could get these pictures that I really always wanted to get um, without affecting the integrity of the moment because that's that's the most important thing for me the integrity of the moment if that's if that's blown away if a, if, a, if a moment in time actually doesn't exist because somebody has um seen a great big white lens or a, you know a huge camera or something then then that, that kind of fills me with dread um so i can literally i can slip into the wedding and shoot much more discreetly um and since then fuji have released a whole you know, whole raft of cameras and and they're, they're doing great stuff as are the other mirrorless um vendors i suppose um and i'll never knock dslrs because i had great times with them they produce beautiful images it was just purely about size and that ability to get in close but still produce image quality of the, of the highest of the high standards so when you envision your business you know five to ten years from now what what are you hoping to achieve uh I, <laughs> in five to 10 years, um, yeah, you know what? I'd, I'd be very happy if I was still shooting weddings. Um, I'd be very happy if I was still shooting the same amount of weddings in exactly the same style. I would really like to do a lot more social documentary, though. Now, I've I've kind of got to the point where um, I mentioned vocational work earlier, and I think this would be far more vocational. Uh, I'd like to do um, social studies of people um, in their own environments, whether, you know, often these, these when people say this and, and, the, and the researchers do it this, it's often um, in sad situations. You take pictures of people in sad situations, but, but hopefully I can find um, a better environment for it. But I'd really like to, to encroach on that and, and move forward and do far more um, observations of people in real life, not necessarily just street photography um, and not necessarily just candid photography, in fact. You know, but it's, it's something that I'd really, I'm really keen to move forward with now. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Okay, I'm going to mention somebody who was very a very, very profound influence on me really at the beginning. And that's a, uh, a an English photographer called James Revilius. Um and he's uh, he's sadly dead now, but his um, his social documentary of uh, rural life in Devon is uh, I picked up the book. Um, there's a book he or a book I think was actually posthumously posthumously produced um, called An English Eye, and it was uh, a real real eye opener in terms of um, these semi candid pictures of uh, real people, real deep black and whites, um, beautiful images, beautiful people, beautiful stories in every single frame. Um, and that was something that, that now I look at these pictures again and I think I can really admire this. Now I've been taking photographs for uh, professionally for six or seven years. I can really, really admire these far more than I did at the beginning. Um, so, yeah, James Revilius, if, if people can take a look at him, then I think they will be pleasantly surprised. And where can people go to find out more about you and, and your work? Um, people can come to my website, which is www.kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. Um, I'm on Twitter, Kevin underscore Mullins, um, and Instagram, Kevin Mullins Photography. Oh, Kevin, thank you, man. It was a joy to, to have a chance to talk to you again. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate that.
Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. Remember that my latest book, Portraits of Strangers, is available for purchase. And for loyal listeners of the show, you can enjoy 30% off the ebook or any other book or DVD that I've produced, including my first book, Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography Using Available Light. Click on the link on the show notes and use the promo code PORELLO, that's P as in Paul, E-R-E-L-L-O, to receive your discount. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners just like you, as well as the work of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.